Hello again. Um, so we're going to move on to chapter seven, but before I do that, I have another suggestion from Jane. So when she called on Aslan and Samid, she also called on a turtle. And so I looked up to see what on earth that book was. And it's another series. Um, the series is called The Tales of Magic by Edward Eager. And I'm going to read you the description of the first book from the series, which is called Half Magic. It all begins with a strange coin on a sun-warmed sidewalk. Jane finds the coin, and because she and her siblings are having the worst, most dreadfully boring summer ever, she idly wishes something exciting would happen. And something does. Her wish is granted. Or not quite. Only half her wish comes true. It turns out the coin grants wishes, but only by half. So you must wish for twice as much as you want. Wishing for two times some things is a cinch, but other doubled wishes only causes twice as much trouble. What is half of twice a talking cat? Or to be half again twice not here? And how do you double your most heartfelt wish? The one you care about so much, it has to be perfect. So again, that is um, from the Tales of Magic series by Edward Eager, and that is the first book called Half Magic. We are going to read chapter seven, a skating coach and an orange cat. After school the next day, Rosalind asked Anna to come home with her. For advice, she explained, and Anna accepted happily. She always jumped at the opportunity to give advice as she was the youngest in her family. Her two older brothers were away at college and she had no one to tell what to do, not even a pet. They picked up Batty at Goldie's and walked home. When Skye and Jane arrived too, everyone gathered in the kitchen for snacks and to lay out the save daddy plan for Anna. So you're looking for a date Mr. Penn won't like, said Anna when they were done. Interesting concept. I should have tried it with my father years ago. You don't think it's diabolical, asked Skye. I prefer the term Machiavellian. When you're older, Batty, I'll explain Machiavellian to you. I already know. It's a kind of nut. A nut, said Skye scornfully. Never mind that, said Rosalind. Anna, we came up with the plan, but we can't come up with any actual woman. Do you know of any awful ones who don't already have husbands? Though not totally awful, said Jane. Poor daddy. I'll try. Let me think. While Anna ate pretzels and thought, she let Batty play with her long, honey-colored hair, twisting it into fantastic shapes. Batty adored Anna's hair just as she adored Anna's pointy nose and pixie smile. For Batty, Anna was indeed gorgeous, though not, of course, as gorgeous as Rosalind. I got one, Anna said suddenly. Valeria, who works with my, her, my mother. Her house is full of crystals for meditating, and she's always talking about people and who they were in their pre previous lives. She divorced her husband because she decided he was a cannibal five lifetimes ago. No, said Skye. No, no, and no. Skye's right, Anna. We want Daddy to have a bad date, but we don't want to put him through agony. Jane agreed about no agony. Still, reincarnation intrigued her. She sometimes wondered if she might have been a famous author, Shakespeare, or Be Beatrix Potter, maybe, in a previous life. Anna, who was she before? Valeria, I mean. Anne Boylan, Madame Curie, 
said Anna, ticking them off on her fingers. Mary Magdalene, Mary Queen of Scots, Mary Lincoln. There are a bunch of different Marys. Skye clapped her hands over her ears. Stop! Anna popped another pretzel into her mouth and went back to thinking. How about my ice skating coach, she said after a few minutes. Her name is Lori Jones, but she calls herself Lara Jonasvich, so that parents will think she's European and pay more for lessons. Daddy hates dishonesty, said Skye, though making up a new last name was certainly better than crystals and reincarnation. Is she pretty? asked Rosalind. Anna shrugged. If you like that half-starved look. Oh, and she never reads. She believes that reading channels your mental energy away from skating. Never reads? Jane couldn't imagine a life without reading. Does she like dogs? asked Batty. I don't know about dogs, said Anna, but she wears a coat made out of rabbit fur. Batty went so pale and dizzy with shock that Rosalind and Anna had to dangle her upside down to get the blood flowing again. Okay, so we definitely don't like this Lara, and neither will Daddy, said Rosalind when Batty had revived. How do we do it? I mean, how can we set up a date? I'll figure something out. Anna's face was alight with the thrill of conspiracy. I have a lesson tonight for dinner. Can you convince Mr. Penn to pick me up at the ring afterward? I think so. Call me at the end of your lesson and I'll tell him your mom is working late. There was the sound of the front door opening. Everyone act normal, whispered Rosalind fiercely. By the time Mr. Penderwick came into the kitchen, they were all chewing pretzels and trying to remember what they normally acted like, which meant they all looked a little odd. Hello, daughters of mine, he said, lifting Batty for a hug. Hello, Anna. Hello, Mr. Penn. Isn't it a lovely day? Mr. Penderwick looked out of the window at the dreary clouds hanging over Cameron. What are you up to, Anna? Nothing. That is nihil. Anna was in Rosalind's Latin class. Rosalind! Yes, Daddy. Tell Anna she's not fooling me. Yes, Daddy. Anna took a last handful of pretzels and stood. I have to go home and do my homework before my skating lesson. Goodbye, everyone. She left with Mr. Penderwick shaking his head. Either a saint or a master criminal. But how are my girls? How is school? How is Goldie's? Tell me everything while I fix dinner. After dinner, Rosalind told her sisters she'd do their kitchen cleanup chores. She wanted them out of the way before Anna called, since it was going to be hard enough to carry on a sham conversation without everyone watching. Batty gladly retreated to the living room with Hound to play King of the Mountain on the red wagon. Skye and Jane, not so gladly, went upstairs to their room. For though it was great to skip cleanup, that only meant starting homework sooner. They settled down at their desks. Skye flew through a book report on the swallows and Amazons, filed it neatly in her notebook, and then pulled out a fresh piece of paper and wrote The Stupid Aztecs across the top. Her play was due at the end of the week, and she had to buckle down and write it whether she wanted to or not. The phone rang downstairs. That's Anna, said Skye. She had a sudden urge to warn her father before there was no going back. Jane looked as cold feetish as Skye felt. We're about to be caught in a web of lies and deceit and lose our honor and integrity forever. I know. A minute later, Rosalind stuck her head in the door. Daddy and I are going to the rink and Batty and Hound are coming with us. Wish us luck. Luck, said Jane, as Rosalind withdrew. Pondering the meaning of luck, Skye tipped her chair back to the side until it rested on one leg. And mathematics, she thought. 
Luck doesn't exist. Only random chance. If there was such a thing as luck, fathers would never go on dates, and Melissa Patinod would never have been born, or would at least live in another state, and, would, and it would be possible to balance on one leg of the chair with both feet off the ground. She lifted both feet. Crash! If you keep doing that, you'll crack your head open, and only I will be here to listen to your dying confession, said Jane. I don't have anything to confess, said Skye. She picked herself up and let her chair off, off the floor. Except that I wish I'd never had the idea about finding awful dates for Daddy. And the Aztecs bore me. Writing a play about them bores me so much I can hardly stand it. You're supposed to write a play about the Aztecs? Lucky you. There it was. Luck again, thought Skye. What would she really want if she was to be lucky? To visit Jeffrey in Boston? To have someone else write her Aztec play? She looked over at Jane, who was bent over her desk, scribbling on a piece of paper. Maybe she'd finally settled on a science essay topic. Skye picked up her binoculars and found that by standing on her chair and focusing on Jane's desk, she could read the scribbling. I hate science essays. I hate science essays. I hate science essays. I hate... Jane, she said, climbing down from the chair. Remember last year when I built that model wind tower for you and you wrote those poems for me? And you said you'd never switch homework assignments with me again? For good reason. My teacher had a hard time believing I wrote, Tra-la, the joy of tulips blooming. Ha-ha, the thrill of bumblebees zooming. I'm alive and I dance. I'm alive, though death is always looming. When I finally convinced her that I had, she asked me if I needed to talk to the school counselor. <laughs> Jane couldn't stand anything that sounded like criticism of her writing. Anyway, maybe I shouldn't have said I'd never switch with you again. Jane didn't answer, and Skye went back to trying to balance on one leg of her chair without any feet on the floor. She figured that if she did crack her head open, at least she'd get out of writing the play. I'm truly interested in the Aztecs, said Jane after a while. Skye let her chair bang down. And I'm truly interested in writing a science essay about, what's it supposed to be about? How science has changed our lives. I could write one of those. I could write a dozen of them without blinking. But can you write a play without any tra-las or ha-has? Of course. Then have at it. Skye dumped her Aztec books on Jane's desk. Oh, and no Sabrina Star. Of course not. Jane opened the first book, eyes shining. A half hour later, Skye tossed aside her pen triumphantly. Her essay, Antibiotics as the Ultimate Warriors, was a winner. Well written, with just the right amount of science thrown in. She was dying to show it off. But Jane was still writing feverishly, happily lost in Aztec land. Skye would leave it to her. She grabbed her binoculars and slipped out onto the roof. Lights were shining in the houses up and down Gardam Street. It took great strength of will not to point the binoculars at one of the lit windows. And Skye actually did, but just for a second, point them at the Geiger's house. But Nick happened at that very moment to be looking out his window, and she knew if he caught her spying, he'd kill her. So that was the end of that. Instead, she looked up into the sky, clear now, where the earlier clouds had blown away, and searched for geometrical patterns found by the stars. She particularly wanted to find a rhombus, which was her latest favorite shape. A square askew. What could be more interesting than that? Then there was a thump, 
and Sky was no longer alone on the roof. She lowered her binoculars and saw a large orange cat several feet away. He must have come up the tree, just like Tommy had. No way, said Skye, sick of interlopers. The cat turned his head slowly toward her. He had large yellow eyes and a look almost intelligent if you believed that cats could be. Skye didn't. She had as much use for cats as she did for babies. You can't stay here, said Skye. Go away or I'll make you. The cat, without taking his eyes off her, calmly sat down and began to wash his left paw. So make me, he was saying. Skye couldn't ignore such a clear challenge, especially from a cat. Carefully, she slid along the roof, closer, closer, but just as she was about to grab the intruder, he jumped lightly into her lap. Idiot, she said. But she put her arms around him and was surprised at how nice he felt there. Now she saw that he was wearing a collar with a tag that read, My name is Asimov Aronson. So Iantha did have a cat after all. Betty had said so, but she was always making up stuff. Well, thought Skye, Asimov was going to have to get off her roof, even if he did belong to an astrophysicist. But before she could decide how much force was needed to move such a big cat, he'd settled in her lap as though he's, he meant to stay for a while. And when he started purring, Skye went back to looking for rhombuses through her binoculars, and time passed pleasantly until the lights of the stars were outshone by the lights of her father's car returning home. Now you really do have to leave Asimov, said Skye. Asimov, who seemed determined to impress Skye with his brain power, obediently climbed off her lap, lightly leapt from the roof to the tree, and disappeared into the night. And don't come back, Skye called after him, just as determined not to be impressed, then crawled back through the window into her bedroom. Sky, or, sorry, Jane, surrounded by piles of crumpled paper, was still scribbling furiously. They're home from the rink, said Sky. I've got the first few pages of the play already. The title is Sisters in Sacrifice, and here's how it starts. Long ago in the land of the Aztecs, there was great worry. The rain had not come for many months, and without the rain, the maize didn't grow. And without the maize, the people starved. That's nice. We should go downstairs now. Nice? That's all you can say? Nice? It's a brilliant setup to the drama of what is to come. Two sisters are in love with the same man, and then one of the sisters is chosen to be a sacrifice for the gods, and the other one... Jane, I don't care about the play. Daddy's home from the rink. This time, Jane heard her. She pulled herself away from the Aztecs and ran out of the room with Skye. They got to the bottom of the steps just as the others were coming in from the front door. They all looked disgruntled, Batty especially. Skye and Jane learned later that not only had the skating coach been wearing a rabbit coat, she had rabbit fur around the tops of her boots. Hello, everyone, said Skye, not knowing how to find out what happened. Did you have fun? Fun? No. Mr. Penderwick took off his jacket and threw it onto the chair just as he was always telling his daughters not to do. It seems I have another date. So you liked your daddy? asked Jane. He looked at her with suspicion. Liked whom? Whoever, whomever. You had the date with, of course, said Skye, stepping hard on Jane's foot. Which is who, by the way? Anna's skating coach, said Rosalind, named Lara. 
My goodness, Skye tried to look amazed. Who would have thought of her? Mr. Pendewick took his jacket from the chair and threw it down again. Yes, who would have thought of the skating coach? Certainly not I. We were casually chatting as I was waiting for Anna, who was heaven knows where, when this Lara mentioned how much she liked classical music, and I agreed. Then she told me she had tickets for Bach this Thursday, and I politely said she was lucky to have them. And then she asked me to go with her, and I, pathetic soul that I am, couldn't figure out how to refuse. But you truly do like classical music, said Rosalind. Yes, but I truly don't understand how this woman knew enough about me to even ask. Anna couldn't have said anything. No, no, never mind. What a distrustful old father I've become. No, Daddy, you're not, said Skye. Old or distrustful? He managed to smile. If guilt had a color, say purple, the Penderwick sisters would have turned so purple that it dripped off them and spread its way through the house, turning everything purple, upstairs and down. It was a terrible moment. And when everyone gathered in Rosalind's room a little later, they agreed that they had never loved their father more. And yet we torment him, said Skye. Should we stop? asked Jane, for whom torment was almost as bad of a word as torture. We must have courage to follow the Save Daddy plan, insisted Rosalind. It's for his own good. It really is. I have courage, Rosalind, said Batty. But I hate that lad lady with the rabbit coat and boots. Batty started to cry, for she did love rabbits so. And some of her sisters felt like crying too, because they felt like low, unworthy daughters. And then they all slunk away, each to be alone with her misery.